It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He is Jeff Fiegels. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we're here to break down all that is happening with the New York football Giants in multiple ways to interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. If you haven't paid your phone bills, you can then just head to Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat, or you could directly interact with each of us on our very own Twitter handles. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So Brian Dable and Wink Martindale both spoke to the media earlier today. We'll provide some takeaways from those conversations, mm-hmm. and we'll get into a variety of other topics as we move along here because the OTA season is clearly upon us, Jeff, and the players <laughs> are still working out, and they're going to build this up till early June when they have mandatory mini camp. Then they'll break. They'll have their month, month and a half off before they're back for training camp, but once again, each and every day is, at least from Wink Martindale's perspective, and let's start with him, is really a slow step in the right direction because he's still getting to know the personnel. They're getting to know him, and the one thing he emphasized, and you've seen this from the tons of years that you were in the NFL, whenever he's asked about a player, you can say, hey, this looks good, that looks good. At the end of the day, we separate the men from the boys when they actually put the pads on, and he gets to tell what they could do with a little bit more physicality. Well, that's because the game is physical, and so this game, it predicates itself on guys being out there to be able to compete under normal conditions, and that is being able to use their physicality, being able to, you know, to be tough at times and use their strength. You know, out here, it's just it's just going through fundamentals and technique and a lot of teaching. Which, by the way, is it's it's imperative that that happens, Lance, sure. because you have to you have to move in, especially with the new coordinators on both sides and and new systems. So, yeah, I, I think then I, I think all these coaches. I'm not going to call this boring because there's nothing boring about it, but to us it is a little bit kind of just window dressing. But once you get those pads on and football really starts, that's when you start to see who's going to rise to the cream of the crop and be able to go out there and compete for jobs. And that's going to be fun to watch. I can't wait to see it in camp. Yeah, because to a certain degree right now they're just going through the motions. Not to say guys are not playing hard, but as you mentioned, you can only do so much during this OTA period. Yeah, there's no contact. You can't, I mean, you know, there's a little bit of contact here and there because football is a contact sport. You can't play this without going out there and having some sort of contact, but, you know, it is limited. But the biggest thing here is recognition, understanding, teaching, and really being able to take what you, I've said this before, from the classroom out there, understanding concepts. And then the thing that scares you the most as a coach is that when these guys leave, because you put all this time and invested in it and the OTAs and then the final minicamp and then they leave for five weeks. So what is going to be the retention level? And I've said this before that when you get back into training camp, they start over, but it's an accelerated class. You know, what you covered one day, you're going to cover one, you're going to cover what you covered two days in about a half a day. That's how fast things go. And where guys get left behind is that they're not able to take what what's giving learning in the classroom and just going out there and applying it on the field, coaches are going to start get a little bit, they're going to be like, well, wait a second. You know, we just went over this stuff. How do you not know this? You just gave up a touchdown on a play when you were in the wrong coverage. We just went over this stuff. If that's a repeat offender, that guy's never going to get on the field. He's going to have a short, you know, very short patience with those guys. Because you don't have as much luxury time-wise once training camp no, starts. No, you only have so many practices. And, and by the way, you only have so much time. Sure. You know, nowadays, you can't be on that field for, I don't know what it is, but it's not a long time. I mean, back in the day when I was around, we had three-hour practices twice a day. So, you know, <laughs> you could cover a lot of stuff. So the guy that didn't get it in one period, well, he's got plenty of time to make it up because they're going to be out there another hour and a half. <laughs> so, <laughs> they'll figure it out. <laughs> Well, that's how quickly you become lost on an island, which is what you were talking about. And then yeah. the rest of the group is on the opposite side of the field, and you're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? I can <laughs> exactly. barely digest this second play. Yeah. You don't want to ever put yourself in that position. But I'm glad you went there, Jeff, because actually when Wink was talking to the media, he sort of was scratching the surface of what you were talking about, uh-huh. and he said 
when they return for training camp, and this is why monitoring and evaluating these guys, it's a process. He goes, they're not even in or close to their tip-top shape of where I expect them to be in the fall when September rolls along. So, you know, that's why he's got, to your point, he's got to walk that fine line of, I don't want to overwhelm them. I don't want to drill them into the ground, but I also need to use this time wisely to make sure that once we do return for training camp and assuming that the guys take care of themselves as you were hitting on, that now we could all of a sudden start to hit our stride. Well, and this is the one of the reasons why you see coaches when they come to a new team that they bring guys with them. Because, yep. you know, you want to have maybe not at all levels. You, you're probably not that fortunate to have a player at every single level from a team that, you know, you came from. But you want some familiarity. And so you got a defensive lineman that can help the defensive lineman because obviously, you know, the front seven means a lot more to Wink than the back seven. You know, because with Patrick Graham, it was vice versa. So I think from Wink's point of you know, point of view. He has a lot of things from the front seven. He's got to get guys. He's got a linebacker he brought in here. He's got a defensive lineman that he brought in here. Okay, so there's some guys that are going to be able to teach those guys um, in the in the meeting room. And by the way, in training camp, all these guys do is they spend time together. They're they're in meetings. They're on the practice field. They're taking. You know, they don't leave the facility. So when you're around and you're in your playbook, if you have somebody that's been there before, they can actually. It's almost like having an extra coach in the building because those guys understand what wink and vice versa. You know. Uh, uh, Dable on his offense. You want to have somebody like Davis Webb is a guy who's been around that system that's going to be able to help uh, Daniel Jones. And by the way, Tyrod Taylor wasn't there when Dable was there, but you know he's a, he's a guy that's been in the league long enough to we'll be able to pick something up like that. Yeah, he's seen it. He's done it. He's been in a variety of different offensive schemes, and there's plenty of other former Buffalo Bills players like oh, yeah, John Feliciano, yeah. Antonio Williams. Yes. The list goes on and on. So there's yeah. plenty of guys that Daniel Jones and some of these newbies could certainly turn to. I want to piggyback off of one of the points you brought up with respect to the structure of the defense when you were bringing up Wink and what area of the mm-hmm. defense may be more crucial, more important, because interestingly, he was asked a lot about the secondary, which is not a surprise. It's a young group. We've talked about that at great length here on this program. He had a very good analogy that he utilized, Jeff, and I want to throw it out because I think it warrants some additional conversation. Aaron Robinson came up, and Aaron Robinson clearly has a great opportunity ahead of himself to be that other outside corner opposite of Dory Jackson, but Aaron, if you remember when he was drafted, a lot of people said he's an inside corner. He's not an outside guy, so he's now making that transition. So the analogy that Wink Martindale utilized was he described inside corners it's like walking in the middle of the street where there's a lot of traffic. You're mm-hmm. sort of jaywalking, right? <laughs> a lot is going on around you. Then he described the outside corner. He said, quote, staying on the sidewalk, you can see things a lot better, a lot easier, end quote. I just I thought that was interesting <laughs> because what he's arguing, Jeff, is as Aaron Robinson makes the transition, year one to year two, by the way. Well, yeah. I don't even know if it's a full year one because sure, remember, remember, he missed yeah. half of the first season. But the point is – It's easier when you've had prior experience on the inside in the slot and now you're moving to the outside versus vice versa where you're used to having a lot of space, right? You can easily see the game and now all of a sudden they throw you in all that traffic. So I thought that was something that sold perhaps exactly what Ira Robinson is dealing with. Oh, it makes sense. I'm just picturing these two guys down on Broadway. <laughs> yeah, navigating <laughs> one in, one in the middle of the street. The tourists and so forth. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> See, but the problem is, and I don't mean to cut you off, Jeff, you cannot use the sidewalk analogy if you're referring to Manhattan oh, no and way. Times Square. It's, it's okay? like, that's like being in the middle of the street. <laughs> Correct. Anyway. Exactly. So what he's referring to is he's referring to the suburbs. Okay? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you that would make sense. Walk yeah. on the sidewalk. Yeah, yes. we'll go to Ridgewood where I live. So there you go. Exactly. Downtown Ridgewood okay. Avenue, you know, you're a slot <laughs> corner and uh, an outside guy, you're on the sidewalk. That's fine. But you know what? That's just, you know, there's chaos in, 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 on a football field normally. And, and the further away you are, the more you can see that chaos, right? It's like, but um, I don't know if there's any other position that I would, I would say that that comes close to. Um, the wide receivers maybe because yeah. they, they move inside and outside all the time. That's a good um, one. But, you know, for the most part, like Galladay, he's not inside all that often. Um, but I, I think that's a, that's a great analogy. And also, you know, from – from his standpoint, I think that you know he's got a lot of confidence, and he doesn't know this young man that well. But I think that he's got a lot of confidence in him. And um, you know, you look at like Darnay Holmes is another guy that's kind of maybe he's a slot guy, um, but he's played some outside too. So again, versatility for all of them come into effect, and they're all going to be asked to play 
every position, and that's just the way it is in his defense. And he's acknowledging the fact that this is a young, unproven group. He wasn't certainly hiding from that fact, but I think what he also emphasized, and listen, you can make this argument, Jeff, for every single defense. It's not just necessarily a unique aspect for Wink, but he was emphasizing you have to be able to evolve and adjust as the season goes along. So you may go into the year thinking, this is fantastic. We got a lot of young guys. They're active. They're versatile. All of a sudden, two, three games into the season, they're struggling. So now you have to mix and match. Or maybe you got to lean more on your blitz package mm-hmm. from the interior or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. I don't think he's going into this season saying just because they're energetic and this group wants to learn and there's some versatility that all of a sudden these guys are going to flourish right out of the gates. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he seems to me a guy that's so aggressive. I'm just wondering how patient Wink Martindale is. Um, because if you know the the roster that he's dealing with here is not the roster he had in Baltimore um, by any means, but obviously you're going to rely on certain positions to be able to carry the load. In my opinion, I, I don't think it's the secondary. I think it's the it's the front seven. I think it's some of those edge rushers like Thibodeau. You know, Quincy Roche is another young guy in there that we have to. Yep. And you got um, Ozilari. You got a lot of guys that you can really kind of rely on. Um, not to mention. You know, Williams and Dexter, you know, you got Martinez if when he comes back. So you got a lot of you got a lot of experience there. Not so much on the on the on the back end of that defense. Um, you know, these guys are obviously they're young. They played a couple of years in the league. But when you look at it as, as a complete picture of the whole secondary, Dory Jackson is your oldest guy, you know, so and he's not that old anyways. No, because he also has dealt with some injuries Mm -hmm. over the course of his career, Mm -hmm. which limited him, at least in the early stages. That's why I don't think it was the show, Jeff, that I did with you maybe a week or two ago. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was Paul. But I was saying instead of comparing what Martindale did in Baltimore, because, A, he was there for a number of years. He was there from 2012 all the way through last season. And also, he was the linebackers coach for several seasons, Jeff, before he took over as the defensive coordinator in 2018. So his knowledge of the personnel, when John Harbaugh promoted him, he had a good read of that roster, and he already worked in the previous scheme, which I'm sure he carried over a little bit and then made his own tweaks. The comparison I would make to what Martindale is walking into, this is the year he was the Broncos defensive coordinator. Mm. And even that tenure... He was the linebackers coach in Denver for a year before, once again, he was promoted for D.C. He was, in 2009, the linebackers coach for the Broncos. 2010, he made the jump to D.C., and that defense struggled immensely. In 2010, Jeff, they were dead last in the NFL. Wow. 32nd. So it just goes to show you, A, you need the personnel, which we've been emphasizing, and you also, it's extremely beneficial when you know the personnel that you're walking into because you don't have to worry about a year of transition. See, the difference in play for this year with the Giants, Yeah, he doesn't know any of these He doesn't have any established relationships. But forget the relationships. He doesn't have any X's and O's work with any of these guys other than a few of the players that do have ties to Baltimore. But that's still, it's a small group, Jeff. Very small. In comparison to knowing the entire unit. Yeah, I mean, you've you got 40-something guys uh, on the defensive side of the ball. you got two or three guys that he's, he's familiar with. Now, now, granted, you know, he's he's been in the league long enough to know that, you know, sitting in draft rooms, and he knows the players maybe by name, but he doesn't know a lot about these guys. So, yeah, I mean, you're starting from scratch. And, you know, if, if I'm a coach and I'm starting from scratch, what am I doing? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and, and I'm going to lean on the guys that I know um, that know the system or that can, even if they don't know the system, I feel like that they can, they can be pretty productive. I'm going to lean on those guys because I'm going to need, like, for instance, I think that the edge rushers in this defense and the linebackers, I got to lean on those guys because that's where those guys are going to help my secondary. Okay. And then, so I think I can trust those guys and be able to put some pressure on the quarterback to make him make mistakes. And then again, your back end of their defense will look a little bit better because you got some pressure on the quarterback and being able to stop the run. So, well, and some of the players that you're referencing, you got Justin Ellis, who was with him in Baltimore at the nose tackle. Big boy. Right. Yep. You got Jihad Ward who was also there in terms of the linebacker position. And then you just brought in Maurice Kennedy at the cornerback position. Sure. So there's three guys right there that have direct connections 
to what Wink did in Baltimore that you can at least utilize. And what's also interesting, Jeff, real quickly here is all three of those guys that we just talked about, notice there are three different levels of the defense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, Kennedy, he, he's a he's a six-year veteran. So um, I'm pretty sure he spent all of his career in Baltimore, I would imagine. Well, right? he was briefly with the Cowboys as oh, well. That's right. That's yeah. right. Okay. Um, but yeah, so yeah, exactly. All three levels. Yep. Secondary, linebackers, D-line. There you go. Yep. So that, again, that goes back to what I was telling you. As Wink says, I got to get some guys here that are familiar with my system that outside of the coaching time that we're allowed with these players, you know, these guys can help me because they know what I do. They know my philosophies. They know kind of what makes me breathe and feel comfortable. And so when I've got these guys on that level, on those levels, which is good. And, you know, you look at the, the offensive side, um, you got an offensive lineman, you got a quarterback. Um, you know, those are, those are pretty important pieces to be able to teach the team. Because, listen, Lance, I, I know that, you know, a lot of people don't understand how the NFL works with the CBA and how training camp works. You're only allowed to be in the building for so many hours. You're only allowed, like right now, this time for the OTAs, you're only allowed to be in the building and on the field for so much time. You know, you used to be able to spend, they, I remember uh, when they started the OTAs, before they had the rules, it was, it was ridiculous. I mean, we were in the building at 6.30 and didn't leave until 4. That's, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, talk about like, this is not training camp. This is, this is the OTA. It's just a practice, you know? And then I remember a training camp and then even in the mini camps, the mini camps were two, two practices a day. They were two practices, not a walkthrough and a practice. It was two legitimate practices, meetings before the first one, meetings in between practice and then meetings afterwards and then go home. But by the time you got home, it's like, before you know, you close your eyes, you got to be back in the building again. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so my point is, is that you can't do that anymore. And so these coaches are going to rely on a lot of the players to help themselves coach the other guys. And, um, you know, back in the day, we didn't have iPads. You didn't be, you were only able to take, take home your, your playbook. Well, the playbook doesn't have any video in it. So the, the iPads, you can study, you can look, they got film on there, they load them up. And so it's a lot easier to learn your playbook, so to speak. It's not a playbook anymore. It's a play pad, I guess. But there's, you know, there's not only the plays in there, but there's video that you can watch that has like your the defensive call underneath. And then it'll be the defense. Now, there's going to be a lot of Baltimore stuff on there off defensively. But talk about recognition and being able to watch film and understand your position coming from Wink, where he coached in Baltimore, this is the defensive place. You put yourself in that cornerback shoes or safety or linebacker. A lot easier to learn and to learn the system by watching it on film. Because you know what? That's how the guys used to learn. They used to come into the building and they'd have to sit in the meeting rooms. But after they left, there was nothing for them to go home and watch. Because you, know? you didn't have the technology. They had you couldn't the take technology. the office home with you. Yeah, now they go home and yep. they, they sit in their lazy boy and, you know, kick their <laughs> feet up and they got their iPad and they're watching film. So, and by the way, I know that they probably give them homework. This is what we're going to be covering tomorrow. Yep. And so they now they not only do they come in prepared, they're going to go over it again and then they apply it on the field. So, you know, the teaching methods have, have improved just like technology. And so that helps everybody. The luxuries that yeah. this generation 100%. has compared to what you had to go through, the sacrifices oh, yeah. and struggles. Yeah. Do mean, you had to take the horse and buggy home oh my after yeah. practice, right? Yep. And you didn't have leather helmets for the- God's sake. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had to stuff tissues underneath your jersey for padding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I only got one pair of cleats the whole season. I mean, it's unbelievable. I had a two pairs of socks. You know, oh, it's like. Man. Yeah, you had to do the laundry every five oh, seconds. Man. Yeah, I'll tell you what. And, and, you know, back in the day when you were a rookie, man, you it was the worst. It was the worst. Now, these guys, I mean, I don't even know if there's any hazing going on anymore. I mean, I say that in a light way. Like, you know, if you were a rookie, you would, you know, normally, like on Fridays, I remember you, I always, I never had to do it because we, I, you know, I was only a rookie one time, but we never really had another person on, in the specialist group that was a rookie other than maybe a kicker once in a while. But, you know, like, I remember the defensive line. If you're a rookie on the defensive line, this is back before they had, you know, these nutritional guys that work for the team. You know, they had to go and get donuts. They brought donuts in every Friday, you know. And if you didn't, man, you were in trouble. I mean, you were in some deep doo-doo. I, mean, I can only imagine. Yeah. Yes. I mean, can imagine showing up on a Friday meeting and not having your donuts and you're in the room with uh, with Michael Strahan? Uh-uh. That's not going to fly, you know. And it's so it was a different game. The whole thing is different. But yeah. um, 
you know, I'm sure that the, the rookies have to do something because the veterans just aren't going to let them come in here and be a rookie and do nothing. That's for sure. But it's not to the degree, no. given the union no, rules no, no. and regulations and no. Big Brother always watching a little uh, bit more in today's game. Yeah, I mean, versus. I remember uh, in training camp being a rookie, watching, not me, I mean, I was obviously a rookie one time, but you know, it was funny, when I, when I was a rookie, not, not too many people knew I was a rookie because I, was, I beat out the, the incumbent. They thought I was, these guys thought I was a veteran. That's how good I was kicking. But I remember up in Albany, but before all of this stuff, man, there was, there was some, some guys lost their tires. They come out there, you know, their, their, their cars on cinder blocks. I mean, it's just like, I mean, there are some serious stories that go back to those days. Actually, a lot of fun. Um, Eli, well, fun, you, fun if you're the one watching that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're the one that doesn't have the wheels on your oh, car, man, just tons it's not necessarily of, enjoyable. Ah, just this, yeah. you know, tons of stuff that used to be when the game was a lot of a lot more fun, in my opinion. Um, you know, a lot of more camaraderie. And you, as a rookie, if you went through all that stuff, man, you couldn't wait till the following year when you got to do it to somebody else. Return the favor, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. how much did you take part in that? No, never, never. Okay, never, so you just were an observer. As far as you know. Okay. All right. We yeah. won't reveal any secrets on this program. You know, That's fine. You know, okay. who was a, you know who really did a lot of – there was there was three guys. Okay, and they're all offensive guys. The defensive guys just – you know, they were – I don't know. They're just a different breed, I guess. I'm too tired to do this stuff. But, but Eli, O'Hara, and Richie Soybert, those three guys, <laughs> between the three of them – They were they, in cahoots they, with one they another, were. essentially. Yes. They were like the rookie hazers, man. I mean, and Eli especially. You know, I mean, he's just like the silent assassin, that guy. You know, he's so unassuming, like you don't think he would do anything. But no, he, he's, he was he was involved in all of it. <laughs> but here's the thing. Would Eli give it to his fellow quarterbacks? Like if there no, was ever a rookie no, no, in the room. No, no. So it was, it was players outside of the quarterback yeah, room that he yeah, would focus on. Absolutely. And gotcha. of course, you know, the linemen, they're, they're going to take it to the nth degree. Eli was pretty subtle in some of the stuff he does. But O'Hara and, and Soybert, man, they were they were brutal. They were brutal. <laughs> like, I mean, really bad. <laughs> we had a strength coach named Jerry Palmieri, who was the yep. most gullible soul in the world. The guy was, <laughs> and my famous, the, the funniest story I ever heard about a prank on a coach, by the way. And he wasn't even a rookie. It was just, Jerry was just a guy that you could just kind of, you know, you could just jab him all, all day long and he didn't really care. Just went along with it. Well, they had the one day that he had, he drove this Astro van. I mean, it was like, it was so old and they just kept trying to tell him like, dude, you got to get a new car. He's like, yeah, but the air conditioner works so good in this thing. And that gave these guys an idea. So what they did was they went to this adult novelty store and bought a big, huge thing of, of uh, like, it's almost like confetti. But I'm yep. not going to tell you what the confetti was. You can only use your imagination, <laughs> yeah. yes. Well, they dumped it in the air vents. And so, <laughs> because the air conditioner works so good in this car. So Jerry... Gets oh, out man. and gets in his car and gets ready to go from the apartment complex, which is only a mile away to where the weight room was, turns on his air conditioner, <laughs> and you can imagine what's flying around in his car, and it's all over the place. And I remember Jerry telling us to the day that he sold that car that he would still find little things in his car. <laughs> to remind so there's him. somebody riding around with it right now still getting some of that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the male anatomy, oh. they're all over the car. <clears throat> that was the funniest thing ever, I tell you. It was just was he funny. angry at all? Was he irritated? Because oh, you said he didn't take things very nah, seriously. He, he, he no? would just laugh. He would just okay. laugh. That's I cool. Mean, at least he and, has a good sense and of humor. Jerry, and Jerry was the guy that did the bed check at night. Poor guy. You know, so 11 o'clock, grown men, you got to come oh, and check man. and make sure that they're, you know, they're in their dorm rooms and this and that. And, I mean, we used to take, like, a, a cup of water and set it on the top of the door so when he walked in the water <laughs> fell on him i mean this poor guy i mean i would have been like if that's me i'd be like okay yeah they were in their room i'm not going in there every time sure. we went in yeah. or they or what, what would happen is we would we would turn all the lights and unscrew the light bulbs and everything so when <laughs> so he walked he in he couldn't see and walk into the wall <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Man, this is what grown men brutal. do. Yes. Grown oh. men do this at training camp. And by the way, when people, I know I'm going long, but these are kind of No, funny. this is fantastic. But let me just tell you something. You know, when people say that, you know, I you know, wish they went up to Albany again and this and that, I, I don't know as a player. I, I had some, you know, some of my best memories in football, pro football, were in training camp because it's, it's, it's a camaraderie, camaraderie fest. These guys, all we do is hang around each other and get to know one another. You kind of become really good friends. But, you know, when you're at the facility, 
you know, you're kind of just around here. You're not really, you go back to your hotel room and there's nobody's playing cards at night, having a few beers here and there. So it's just a different game. It's just a different game. So I'm all, I was all for going to training camp because it was just, all it was was football sure. and uh, pure focus. And I feel like there was no distractions in a sense, like you just couldn't, there was nowhere to go. You know, you, you were up there for three, three weeks, three and a half weeks, nowhere to go. You don't go home, you know, your, your family comes up there, you know, they, they might come up for a day or something, but you know, there's nowhere to go. You can't sneak out and go see your girlfriend or your family, just your football, just total focus for three and a half weeks. A lot of fun. Well, in all seriousness though, and I think you bring up an interesting point about the difference in going away versus staying at the facility, but based on what you said, Jeff, and if we use your example, guys love to hang around, drink beer, play cards. No disrespect to this generation, but something tells me this generation would not have the attention span to do things like that, right? (laughs) I mean, think about it. With all the technology at the disposal of players today and what they're doing in college, I just, I don't think that they would love to be in a dorm room hanging out. They would probably look to go out or do things. Or they would just go in their room. Correct. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So I just think it's a completely different generation that even if they were in Albany, let's say, I don't think they would have the same exact experience that you guys would. Yeah, good point. Because, you know, it's just you just you. And by the way, the the technology was obviously not there. The the only thing we had was cell phones um, and we barely had Internet on the cell phones. And so you were forced to just have fun with the guys that was there. You know, the old fashioned way. You made your own fun. You did. You know, you made fun of each other. You you did cranks on people. You did pranks. Excuse me. You you know, you just, and you you played, you know, what was big. It was, we had the, uh, I think it was Sega Genesis. I mean, come on. Like seriously, (laughs) you know, and then, and then you kind of had, I think it was the I thought you were going to reference Atari. I'm surprised. Oh no, it wasn't that late. It wasn't that long ago. (laughs) But uh, then, then, then I think um, Xbox one came out and that was when things really started to get fun. So again, we just played video games played some cards and so it was fun it yeah. was a lot of fun yeah but i agree with you i think that now with technology and god only knows these guys you know as soon as they come off the field they go right to their phones and you know it's just that's that's the world that they live in and they don't know anything they don't know anything different they really don't so um you know it'd kind of be fun if you say okay guys we're gonna go back we're gonna throw back this week no phone no nothing <laughs> see what you guys can do yeah they would go school. crazy oh are you kidding me <laughs> Heck, if you gave a kid a Game Boy today, okay, oh which God. was the small yeah. version of Nintendo, essentially, mm-hmm. I don't even know if they would know what the hell to do with it. What is this? Yeah. I don't recognize this. What is this? Some it's not in color? Game? I can't handle this. It's too much. It's too slow. Yes. Exactly. I mean, what is this? I need batteries? <laughs> <laughs> Lance Reno, Jeff Eagles with you here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We're going to open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Just a few reminders before we get to that. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022. As a Giants suite partner, you can have limited full-season locations that are available or you could place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925. Or for this, visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. Let's open up the lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Donnie is in Queens, and he gets us going. What's happening, Donnie? Hey, Donnie. Hey. Good afternoon, guys. Hello. Good afternoon. Uh, I, I, maybe you have mentioned it, but maybe I'm also breaking some news. I'm not sure if you saw Steve Smith, the uh, ex-Carolina Panther wide receiver, he was in practice today. That, that he, he, yeah, he announced today on Twitter that he's joining the Giants coaching staff. Mm. Mm. Literally well, just uh, five minutes ago. I don't believe that the team has made an official announcement on mm-hmm. that part. So, I mean, obviously until the team issues mm. something awesome. officially. But there's no doubt about it. There's another guy, Steve Smith, and it goes right in line with what Jeff and I were talking about earlier. He was in Baltimore. So mm-hmm. there's another connection. Remember, he started yeah, in Carolina, but then Steve Smith had a season or two in Baltimore. So whenever you cross paths with an individual, it's fair game to then bring them aboard, especially once you join a new team. He was there from 2014 to 2016 in the Ravens. That was his last three seasons in the NFL. Well, you look, and by the way, if you look at the size of Steve Smith, I mean, he's a short guy, right? He's a little stockier than I would say Kadarius Toney. Um, and, you know, he can bring a lot. If, as far as experience to that young, I mean, there's some young guys on there. 
right? I mean, think about this. Robinson is same. I mean, they're both him and Tony are are really kind of you know the little little dudes. Um, so I think that, that that's a, if that's if that's the truth, I think that's amazing. That'll be that'll be incredible to be able to help those guys. I mean, he was a heck of a football player. That was one guy I hated to kick to, by the way, because um, he was an outstanding returner. And I remember one game playing against him. I worked him. I'm telling you, I moved him all around that game. And I remember him coming up to me after the game and going, dude, there, nobody has ever done that to me. I'm like, well, I had to. <laughs> I, didn't, I had no choice. I wasn't going to kick it to you down the middle of the field. I mean, I, I was just working him back and forth, going right, going left, going right, going left. He was all over the place. But that's going to be a great addition if that's, uh, if that's the truth. I believe hey. he was here with NFL Network, and he posted a video saying he's joining the staff, but I think it's just trolling. I think it is trolling, and the reason being is, Pearson, I'm glad you mentioned that. And just for clarification here, because I'm reading Dan Duggan, who covers the team for The Athletic, he Uh tweeted out the following. And remember, this is not coming from the team. This is coming from people who report on the team. Brian Dable and Steve Smith, he has a picture walking off the practice field. Smith is shooting some video. Team says he's not actually joining the coaching staff. So, oh, see, this is another reason why you got to be very careful what you read on the internet and people who have a sense of humor and how they tweak things and so forth. So, yeah, but we, Lance, if something's on Twitter, it has to be true. Oh, well, I, I mean, apparently, I, I didn't get that memo, but if you say so, we, I will mark that down moving forward. Everything mentioned on Twitter has to be true. Okay. Lesson unless, it comes yes. from Char- unless it comes from Charlie's account. But mm-hmm. I'll ask a quick question and I'm going to drop off the line. So, uh, Jeff, 2007 Giants. You said you guys would hang out, drink mm-hmm. beer, and play cards. Yep. Who was the best beer drinker on the team? <laughs> I was the best can beer I, can drinker. Can I make my guess? Uh, sure, go ahead. I would say if I had to guess, it's going to be either Soybert, Deal, or Snee, and then I'll hang up and wait for you. Oh, uh, wow. Have a nice holiday. You, go with uh, you, you I, too, Donnie. Appreciate it the was, call. I, I can see why you went with the big fat guys, you know, <laughs> so that makes sense. Um... <laughs> But to be honest they with you, they have the storage space. Apparently, they so, definitely yes. have the storage space. But honestly, you know, there was the guys that drank the most beers at camp were the guys that didn't do as much. That would be like me and 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 uh, Diossi and uh, remember like Ryan Keel back in yep. the day. You know, so but the linemen, all those other guys, they they had to work. They had you know two a day, so they didn't drink a whole lot. But I'll tell you what, Sorber could put them away. Yeah, Richie could do it. <laughs> um, good, that was a good answer. Um, I don't know. Nobody really got after it all that much, but it was, you know, but regardless, it was a lot of fun, good camaraderie, you know, and the guys, you know, we got to got practice the next day. So you can't really throw them down all that, all that bad. Although at the end of this camp, we always had a huge party. I mean, there was a huge party after training camp was over uh, to the point where like, it was just mayhem. It was hilarious. Like, wow, it was, <laughs> it was something else. I'll tell you what, man, how times have changed. That's oh. for sure. Well, I was going to say, something tells me the next morning may have not been too fun for a lot of guys. No, no. And, of yes. course, you know, Coughlin, uh, Fossil, all the coaches that were there when I was there, they all knew it. They all knew the, the last day of training camp, what was going to happen. Um, and, in fact, I think Coughlin at one point knew that it was going to happen, so he actually surprised everybody, and we, we broke camp early. <laughs> Caught everybody off guard. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so they're not going to be a party because we're leaving today. And everybody like, uh, what? <laughs> See, pulled a fast one yeah. on you guys like, so oh, that you wouldn't have the fun. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, That's a very crafty, clever move. Half the team was like, okay, let's go. The other half was like, wait a second, you're taking away our party? There's no way, you know? So, yeah. That's a good strategy, good coaching <laughs> on his part. Speaking of Tom Coughlin, by the way, Tom actually visited the Giants facility the other day because mm-hmm. Brian Dable was talking about this earlier and how he didn't necessarily have an established relationship with Coughlin, but he was here. They clearly have crossed paths because they've both been on the coaching circuit throughout the course of their careers. But he jokingly, he said that there was a reason why he started the press conference 10 minutes early. That was uh, (laughs) a little tip of the cap to uh, Tom Coughlin. That's good. I did. uh, He was here on Tuesday. Um, I was doing the show with Paul and evidently Tom Coughlin. Well, not evidently Tom Coughlin was here. So was Eli. And Daniel Jones, they were all sitting at a table, and it was a, I believe it was a uh, J Fund event where somebody won uh, one of the auctions, silent auction. I think that's what it appears. And then, uh, so they were sitting having lunch in the, in the lunchroom. I got to say hello to him. Got to say hello to, to number ten, um, nice. and Daniel. So it was good, good time. That's and that's you know that's Tom Coughlin for you. And by the way, Tom Coughlin doesn't live in Jersey anymore. So I mean, he made the yep. trip out here. Um, you know that charity that he does is very true to him. 
and very special. So he was able to come out and fulfill somebody's uh, auction item that they did for a J-Fun event. So that was great. So was the auction item, you're saying it was to have a meal or share I, a yeah, day with them yeah. at the Giants yep. facility? Yep. That's what the I think uh, that, auction was? I, I'm, I'm almost positive. Don't, don't, you know, don't quote me on it, but I think sure. that's, that's in the realm of what happened. That's why they were both here, and they were able to sit down and have, have lunch with Coach Coughlin. Daniel Jones was there, and Eli. So pretty cool. Absolutely. Let's head back to the phone lines. Mike is in Oakland. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Mike? Hey, guys. Good to be on the show with you. Thanks, Mike. Um, give me, yeah, good morning. Good, you know, I figured since we got a little time to reminisce that um, I had to call back, Lance, to talk to you because um, I pulled out Ahmed Bradshaw coming in uh, to uh, to teach Saquon Barkley how to block, and I didn't get the response I was hoping for because <laughs> – <laughs> what I was looking for was, oh, man, that kid could block, right? So he ended up being one of my favorite Giants players. And um, is it just me, or do you not remember that guy as just being a fantastic blocker, especially sure. given the size? Oh, yeah, by far. Toughness. 100%. Toughness. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was ever mentioned that Ahmad Bradshaw wasn't a good blocker. I don't recall that ever oh, coming no, up. No. Yeah. No, no, you didn't, you didn't say that at all. You just kind of were like, well. He's not coming into coach. And I was like, well, I didn't think he was, but I just wanted everybody to go, oh, I'm at Bradshaw. What a blocker. You okay. Know? Well, I mean, I listen, got... if, if, if the, I don't recall the exact wording, but if the whole thing was maybe Ahmad comes in to help Saquon, it's just this whole ideology. And listen, Jeff can mention because a lot of these guys are his former teammates. Some of these guys, when they play 10 years in the NFL, the last thing they want to be involved in is coaching in mm -hmm. any aspect mm -hmm. because they see these guys and the sacrifices they make and the long hours they work. So you could not convince them no, to no, come back, right, no, Jeff? I no. mean, isn't that pretty no, much a fair I, I would say I would say 90, it might be a little bit lower than that, maybe 75% of the guys, they don't want any part of it, especially if they've made a lot of money. Um, they're not going to go and, you know, these guys, these coaches in a normal week during the season, uh, they're 90-hour work weeks. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's a grind. Um, you know, and you play, like you said, Lance, if you play an extended period of time, that you, you know, you're done. You don't want any part of it. In fact, what's great about playing that long and being able to ask to come back and coach for a day or two, that, that's a different story. Like, I'll, I'll never forget. Like, I, and again, I was able to do this with, um, remember Dodge, Matt Dodge. The year I retired, uh, they brought Matt Dodge in, and I went and worked with him during training camp. So, it was, you know, that's, that's all I wanted of that. <laughs> that was it. Right. Uh, he you didn't want to go beyond he, that. And yeah. by the way, I must not have been a very good coach because he didn't listen to anything I said to him. Because, <laughs> 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 I mean. Well, well, uh, go ahead. I just want to throw this out I just, for a second about um, Bradshaw, though, is that, you know, given the size, what I remember um, him saying, and, and, you know, I've heard it from other coaches, is, that to be a good blocking back, number one, you got to want to block. It comes down to desire. Yep. But the other thing is, um, you know, I don't know if you can teach anticipation. Um, I would hope so, but I just remember so many plays where, like, Bradshaw be lined up on, like, the left side. And, you know, clearly that's not where, you know, he wasn't supposed to be looking for somebody to open up on the right. And he would, like, cross Eli's face. Mm -hmm. And just take out like a defensive end who broke free. I mean, the guy's anticipation, sure. and abil ability to get in there. You know, I just, I got to tell you, when we brought Saquon, when we drafted Saquon, and I bought his jersey, and I was, I was hyped for him. Um, you know, I thought with his strength and with his size, he'd be a heck of a blocker. Um, but I just, I haven't seen him be a decent blocker. And and I would say all, you know, a lot of a lot of his struggles I attribute to a you know, an offensive line that's, you know, bottom, bottom, like 5% of the league. They just haven't performed, and he's getting hit behind the line of scrimmage. But but the blocking, to me, is that's kind of on him. So what do you guys think about his blocking? And, you know, is, well, have you ever heard him say, I worked on that in the offseason? Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why he was a good blocker. Um, Gerald Ingram was his running back coach, and they worked on that, like, till the cows came home. I mean, if you looked over at their drills, they were picking up blitz pickup on, you know, not live. This is just like drills that they were doing, like, you know, dummy drills, guys coming at them and being having to teach and being able to pick up that awareness. That's kind of like a sixth sense that some people have. Right. I had it as a punter, knowing that when these guys were getting close to me without even looking at them. I think some of the running backs, uh -huh. they get that sixth sense. They understand about pressure. 
and they understand where, where it's coming from is like a sixth sense. So in that in that circumstance, like you said, I mean, Ahmad might be on the left-hand side, and he has that sense that there's something happening on the other side. He can abandon his side because there's nothing there, but they practice it a lot. And I think that's kind of how you kind of acquire, if you will, that skill. But I believe in what you said. you got to want to block. That, you know, it's not too often that you can ask somebody to, to, against a defensive lineman or a blitzing linebacker that's coming in there at the size that those guys are and to take on that right. hit. That's toughness. And some guys have it and some guys don't. And it's Ahmad very- Bradshaw had the toughness. That guy, that guy played with literally two broken feet, man. I mean, how do you go play no. a game with two broken feet? <laughs> it's like, come on. That, that's one of the reasons why that's one of the reasons why he ended up being one of my favorite players yeah. was the toughness. And the thing with Saquon that worries me is, you know, I'm I'm hoping he has a huge year this year. I I sure. think this is we got the chance to have the best offensive line we've had in 10 years. You know, we I've kind of said that a couple times at the beginning of the season, but you know, I do really, I'm really optimistic, but you know, we also keep talking about these other guys as a third down back and Saquon's got this great ability uh, to receive and also, you know, to be a power runner. I mean, he can kind of do everything, but if you can't trust him to block, then he's not on the field for the third downs. And I'm thinking, you know, he's like our franchise guy and we don't have him on the field for third downs because he can't block. I mean, that doesn't, that's the. I'd say that's my biggest concern with Saquon this season. Well, well, hopefully, he gets better at it. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. clearly, it's an area that he has to show improvement in. I don't think though they're going to sacrifice and take him off the field because of his skill set and his upside. The other thing, just going back to why you have to have the desire to do something like that, and I think Ahmad Bradshaw probably had it. Was keep in mind, Bradshaw was a seventh round pick. The expectations for Ahmad Bradshaw Good were point. 10 times different mm-hmm. than what Saquon had coming in. And I'm not saying that Saquon doesn't have a good work ethic, right. but Saquon came in as a highly touted talent who had an unbelievable college career with all highlight plays. Nobody knew who the heck Ahmad Bradshaw was. And that draft class actually was extremely productive, as Jeff can attest to, because that 2007 class came in and put their stamps all over that Super Bowl year. But my point is, Ahmad, he had to share the backfield with multiple players. He had to find ways to get on the field. He had to play special teams. Very different mindset compared to what Saquon had walking in. And I do think... And listen, you could disagree, but I do think that shapes the desire of what a player is willing to do because he knows he's fighting for his professional life. I don't think Saquon was put up against that. I think that's very different. Good stuff. Yeah, it, it is. But, you know, he's he says he wants to wear the gold jacket. He wants to be Hall of Fame. And um, the players that go to the Hall of Fame, they have the mentality of the undrafted dog. And so... I just, you know, I, I, I've, I've always heard good things about his work ethic, and I'll just leave it at my biggest concern for Saquon is the blocking, and I hope that he's seeing the same things that we are and, and that, you know, if he truly, all I can say is you truly want to be a Hall of Fame running back, you have to be on the field for every down, which means you've got to block. So, yeah, thanks again. Um, love uh, winding away the summertime with you guys, and uh, have a great weekend. All right, Mike, you too. I don't think, though, that struggling in blocking is going to keep a player out of the Hall of Fame. Not to say that Saquon is a lock to get into the Hall of Fame, but there are a lot of running backs that you could look at who weren't necessarily known for their blocking, and they made the Hall of Fame. So something tells me that you could have a Hall of Fame work ethic, but not necessarily saying, boy, if I don't get better as a blocker, I'm not going to make it to Canton. I don't know necessarily if both of those things are synonymous with one another. And I also think that if you look at the nature of the roster right now, Jeff, Not to say that Saquon doesn't have the ability to improve as a blocker, but if you look at the running backs that are behind him, I don't see, you know, maybe with the exception of Matt Breida, depending on how they utilize him, that they're going to take Saquon off the field to give some of these other running back snaps. I just, I find that very hard to believe given what Saquon can bring to the table versus some of these other guys. Hello, Lance. Oh, Mr. Schmelk is here. I'm just saying hello. I'm doing great. He, He... Elevated, in, or what is it called when you kind of move your? What is it? Like you, you know, I don't he know. He moved the microphone about. out of your no, way no, and then put you, it in front oh, of him. Teleport yourself in. Uh, oh, I, oh okay. I, I, I teleported in. Yeah, you did. You came right through the wall. Right. Sat down, and he's now in front of me. <laughs> well, Lance, I, I will throw one thing. I think you make a good point. I'll throw one thing out there. Barry Sanders couldn't block a lick. 
I mean, like Barry, I mean, Jeff. Jeff was in the league, but Barry Sanders. He wasn't, could make people miss, but he couldn't block. Like he wasn't a third. Like he didn't catch passes either. Like yeah. Barry Sanders yeah. is. He had the skill set for a third down back. He but was not a third yeah. down back. Yeah. So I, I think the I think there are ways to still utilize Saquon on third down, and I think we're going to see him split out wider in the slot a lot more. And then if a team's going to blitz, maybe you motion a tight end into the backfield, sure. and that tight end can be your yeah. extra blocker. So I'm with you. Look. They're going to play as Snake Saquon as many snaps as his body can handle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they are not taking him off the field. I'm with you, man. Yeah. yeah. I would find it hard to believe that they would do that. And also, listen, I don't know if Saquon's thinking this way, but another relatable point, given all the injuries he's gone through, and when you are a willing blocker, right, you're taking on some hits. You're taking on the physicality. Oh, God. Is yeah. that in the back of his yeah. mind? Not, not to say that, you know, he's hiding that from the coaches, but you just wonder, is he saying to himself, hey, if I go down awkwardly or I position myself, am I worried that I'm not going to be back for the next game? I just, I wonder if that's the mental game yeah, that he's going through. Maybe, right? and it's funny, when I look at him as a blocker, too, like, he usually knows who to block and where to go. Just his block execution, and he tries. Correct. Just the yeah. block execution isn't mm-hmm. very good. So I wonder if that's a technique thing or what it is. But look, I, look, his the he's big enough. Oh, he's definitely big. And enough. he cares got- enough, and he works hard enough. So the capability is there. But he simply look. We've all seen it. There are some running backs that you can tell when they're doing it. They want no part of it. Yeah. And yeah. they just that's not Saquon. He just has to execute a little bit better. Yeah. Well, but I guess the, the point I'm getting to, and Jeff, I didn't mean to cut you That's off. Okay. I'll let you jump in here, is if you're thinking too much about your health, does that screw oh, no, up your fundamentals, oh, I, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yes. So yes. maybe that's why you're not blocking effectively. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think it comes down to the mentality of wanting to do it. I mean, they're just guys that are, they probably can do it. They just don't want to do it. Like you said, John, some guys just don't want to do this. Yeah, it's, but it's, 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 that, that's know. not him, though. No, but I mean, I, I feel like there's more to third down Saquon than him sitting in the backfield taking on blitzing linebackers. I mean, put well, him out. Yeah. You know, I, I got We're going to see him run a, a lot of routes this yeah. year. Right or now. you know what? He could be that chip guy. Chip the dude. Chip and go, right? Chip and go. Yeah. Boom. Mm-hmm. And maybe because of some of the, the things that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks with this offense being very quick and just quick dump offs off, that might be something that this offense does. They're back chips and then they just dump the ball off to him. So, Lance, I. Can I paint a word picture for you of what Jeff Eagles was doing at practice today? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> so I go out there, I'm, and I, I come in for practice. I have to come in twice a week. And I see Fiegel's out there holding his coffee, and I'm like, all right, this is cool. I can, can watch practice with Fiegel's. This is going to be great. So I got there. We chat for about five minutes. Oh, it was more than five. All right, seven minutes. Seven. All right. And then Wink Mardale comes walking over. <laughs> I get big-timed and ditched. Then John Mara comes over. Steve Smith, who was here from the NFL Network today. Jeff's talking to them. He's on camera. He's going to be part of some type of cool feature. I, I don't know I what know it is, it but yeah. you're on camera for something. So talks to them for about 20 minutes. Then I, I start to walk back to him. No, 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 no. He basically walks on the field. Takes, right, have I ever big-timed anybody? No, so you know this is Takes false. the Scottish hammer off the field. Oh. <laughs> t- talks to the Scottish Hammer. I'm, 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 I'm watching him. I'm, I'm, I'm watching him from the distance. He's like doing his little steps to show him how to do the steps with the punting and stuff like that. So that conversation probably lasts around a half an hour. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what he was supposed to be doing to practice the punter, but he wasn't doing it because he was talking to Jeff. I, I well, listen. You know, I mean, I have to bring some knowledge to the yes. position. So he's doing and, that. He needs it. Then then they send Jamie off to the far field to actually work on things, so Jeff has to say goodbye. And then the next 45 minutes, he <laughs> talks to Thomas McGahee, and, um, oh, goodness. Um, well, they, they have a well-established yes, relationship. So I'll give a slight pass for that. Yes, and then they have a nice 30-minute conversation. Then all the drill part of practice is over. We're about to do team in seven-on-seven. Seven. We're all getting excited. The most important part We're of practice. We're about to watch it. And Jeff goes, Schmelk, I'll see you later. I go, where, where are you going? <laughs> And, and, and it's only 11.15. And Jeff goes, I got to eat before the show, man. <laughs> Forget about well, watching the most what? important oh part God. of practice. Was, I'm sitting there. I'm dying. And Jeff just goes, I go, Jeff, don't you want to watch? He goes, eh, it's only OTAs. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because <laughs> we know it doesn't. We, we, we sat here for 30 minutes before John got here and talked about how, like, you know, what is OTAs? I mean, yeah, they're only exactly. working on so much stuff. No, but by the way, Lance is being honest because Jeff hungry. goes, you know what? Dudes got to eat. I, but I'm the problem in. is I went in and I didn't eat. So well, you didn't eat. Why no, not? because then you Don Sperling, who's oh, our God. boss, and 
and Bob Papa showed up. So I was ended up having a conversation with those. So I talked to everybody today. You you couldn't eat He's while the you man talked of the people. to those guys? No, I mean, that, well, first of all, 11.15 is kind of on that cusp where the cafeteria is almost ready to serve, but they're really not. <laughs> so I didn't feel comfortable going in there demanding my food at 11.15 when it wasn't ready. Pearson does that all the time. I'm sure yeah. he does. I kind of want to be asked to be able it's to come back. It's a high So I'm not going to go in and, you know, and... and and disrupt those guys in there. Well, it's always better that not not to sit down and have dinner or don anywhere because you might get a little, you know, yeah. you, you might get sprayed a little bit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you got, to, you, got to to this fit, program. you got to fit in your one day of coaching there too. I did. And I actually enjoyed it. I, well, I, I actually enjoy talking about punting as you can imagine. Hey, can you give us some insight as the type of punting stuff you talked about? Well, first of all, Jamie Gillian is, he, he's very raw. He's, you know, he's a rugby player. So he's only been playing really punting football the American way for about six years. So he's got a long ways to go. And it's just, you know, just talking a little bit about the mentality of, of professional punting, if you will, um, and how things can, you know, a lot of people, the, 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 like a guy like him will make punting more difficult. He thinks too much, you know, and when you think long, you play wrong. That's kind of one of the things. So, so you would consider him more of a cerebral guy. He's a cerebral guy, but you can't be that way. Okay. Because you almost have to, you, you kind of overthink things, you know? And I'm sure we've all been in situations like that where we over, overthink the situation. So is the goal to be, up, is to be more simple-minded like Jeff Eagles was? 100%. And then work on, but work on. Yeah, exactly. In, in my whole life, very simple. <laughs> but I was trying to tell him that, you know, you just... It, it's easier to not think on the field when you're able to do things off the field, meaning practice and, and, and really fine tune your craft. That'll help him. Now, Steve Smith, I, I, I didn't have a chance to tell him, and I told these, I told you before, but I had a game against him that I actually worked him. Like, I mean, I worked him up and down the field all around. <laughs> oh, so around. Was, so when so he, he was with the, the Panthers. Panthers punt yeah, I kicked then. away yep. from him every single time. Did he remember that? He did because I remember this on the next day, he was on a serious radio show and they had him on there, and he had said to the host, whoever it was that day, that, you know, we played the Giants, and Jeff Eagles, I've never had a punter work me so hard than that guy did. <laughs> because Coughlin, and you remember, Coughlin used to tell me to kick the Not ball out of bounds. the middle of the kick, field. No, you kick that ball out of bounds every time. <laughs> outside every the numbers. Time. it got to be outside the numbers, Jeff. And so, I mean, and by the way, if he, Steve Smith was a good one. You did not want to get the ball in his hands. Um, so I, it, was a lot of, it was a lot of fun that day, just working him back and forth. But um, So that was good to see him out there. You know, well, and he, we were talking, I'm sorry, Lance, we were no, talking no, earlier yeah. about how important it is these younger guys that are out there to have someone like Steve Smith. Of course, I hope some of those guys know who Steve Smith was. <laughs> you know, nowadays, no, these young guys, nobody knows anybody. Well, he's on TV. Well, he's on TV. That helps. Yes. Yeah. So that does help. Yep. Correct. Yep. But he hasn't played since 2016. So it's, you know, getting to the point where he's closing in on a decade removed from and football. And I imagine yeah. the connection there is three years of Baltimore probably overlapped with Wink, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We were also talking about that earlier. But see, that brings me to the other layer of this conversation, which you've opened up Pandora's box, Schmelk, because uh -oh. first of oh, all— and by, by the way, the only, the only reason I came on was to give Fegels a hard time. That's the only reason. Well, that, well yeah. that's fine. Well, now I'm going to give him a little bit Good of a hard time. You, because that's fine. My, my issue is, number one— Jeff mentioned earlier that anything that he told Matt Dodge went in one ear and out the other. Oh, so that God. would explain oh, why. You're killing so, Matt Dodge? Well, well yes. But, yes, well, we see, We're an equal opportunist program. Everybody gets thrown <laughs> under the bus. But that's why he's trying so hard to right. resurrect his coaching career with Jamie oh. Gillen. So I understand why he one-upped you for mm -hmm. Jamie from that standpoint. What I'm a little bit baffled by is we got a call earlier in the program yeah. with this internet rumor that Steve Smith tweeted out <laughs> that he was joining the coaching staff that and Jeff interacted with him and didn't clarify that at any point over the course uh, of our conversation. I, I don't, I, I, that's I, what I'm baffled by. I don't know by. what I can well, say and I can't say. Okay. So that's All right. I didn't well, see, now, see now, Jeff needs to work on his, on his, uh, on his work as a media member still. He's, correct, he's still yes. too much former player in him. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, stretching the truth. Mm. Dolling it up, you know. <laughs> I, I thought Jeff would take us down that path, uh, and well, just crickets, not uh, a damn word <laughs> at all. Left all alone on an island, I was trying to paddle my way out of. You things. look so big on that island, though. I wanted to leave you alone. <laughs> Thank you. You're yes. welcome. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, so something something tells me a camera crew following Steve Smith around might 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 be a clue, but mm -hmm. that's just me. Correct. Yeah. Yes. 
Well, no, he also supposedly, I didn't see, he tweeted out jokingly that he joined the Giants coaching Yes, he staff, did, so yes. Well, That's my why. God, he had yes. all Giants stat. He had Correct. Giant he had, stuff on. He was dressed up helmet. to the park. Not yes. a helmet. He didn't have exactly. a helmet. He had more Giant yeah. gear than Fields has. He did, absolutely. <laughs> I wonder if he's going to throw that stuff out. Where are I going to find out? Well, go you should it. just follow him as he leaves the building. Well, it's not going to fit me anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, you think that's going to fit no, you? No, he's like five foot four. It's not going to fit me. It might fit your stuff, Lance. Maybe I'll get it for you. Thank you. Thank you. If you try to wear Steve Smith's you're gonna have the whole Michael Irvin Schmedium thing going, where it's like you know you're basically on TV wearing a scuba suit. <laughs> it really show my guns, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What oh guns? <laughs> oh well. Anyway, that's all I got. Yes, great okay. to see you, John. Yes, thank you for stopping by. I'll be at some point next week. Adios. Adios. Have a great Sounds Memorial good. Day weekend, everybody. Yes, yeah, you too. Indeed. Thank you. As we have a few minutes left here, you can believe on it's the already program. here. Memorial Day. I know. Day. Yeah. Wow. Well, speaking of that, just a few announcements. No show tomorrow because the facility will not be accessible. And then no show on Monday, of course, since that is Memorial Day. So we mm-hmm. are taking a little bit of hiatus. We'll be back up and running again on Tuesday yep. for the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. So I figured that was an appropriate way to squeeze that in. But uh, hope everybody does enjoy what should be an extended holiday weekend, which is always nice before things resume as normal from an OTA standpoint as well as from a football standpoint next week. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think that um... – you know, these guys are here for these OTAs, and, it, you know, it's a little bit of a grind because they're in and out, but they get the Fridays off and, you know, go through the weekend. So this will be fun. I mean, this is one of those times where coaches always they always tell the players, be smart when you leave. You know, be careful because, you know, things are – as you we get every day you get closer. It's Memorial Day. You're going into June, you know. Before you know it, training camp's around here. So you gotta be got to be smart with what you do off the field. Well, and I think another aspect of that, which is relatable, Jeff, when these players leave college – they mm-hmm. don't have as much as the structure that they're used to working with, right? Because when you're in college and you have the off-season program, even though the rules based on the NCAA limit what you could do, you still know when you got to go to class, when you have a team meet. I mean, they pretty much lay everything out. When you get to the NFL, it's not baby-fed to you like that. So oh, when no. you have downtime, no. Jeff, right, <laughs> you have downtime, meaning it's your opportunity to do with that time as you choose. They're not going to call you up every five seconds and say, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? So I think that, to me, is a little bit of a rude awakening for some of the players who are so used to, even during the course of the offseason, they have pretty much everything laid out for them. A lot of them cannot believe the freedom that they get. You know, like when you leave the facility here, remember, everybody always talks about this in the pros as being having this as a job, right? It's your job. It's your job to do this. It's your job to come in here, your job to do that. It is. It's a job. The last time I checked, a job is when you get paid to do something. Well, these guys are getting paid to do something. They might have got paid in college. I don't know. But this is a real job, okay? And so when you leave here, there's nobody calling you, reminding you to wake up to come in at 730 meeting, you know, this and that kind of stuff. I, I tell people all the time, when I deal with, with my real estate world, when I, I deal with some of the players sometimes, I tell them, I say, listen, you're looking for a place in X. Like, what kind of a player? Are you a guy that comes in five minutes before the meeting starts? Or are you a guy that comes in like, you know, a half hour to 45 minutes before the meeting starts where you're going to come in and get your coffee, maybe get a workout in, get in the steam room, whatever, because that's important. Because, by the way, if you're a five minute guy, then you need to live one minute away from the facility, <laughs> because <laughs> when you come in five, one minutes late, that's what they call a F-I-N-E, which means fine, which costs you thousands <laughs> of dollars. And by the way, you probably don't know how, how this works, but the next time that you're F-I-N-E deed you get double that. So if it's $1,000 the first time, the next time you're late, it's 2000 And it just keeps going on and on. And if you want proof of that, just ask Plaxico Burris. The year that he was, he was, he would, he, he set the record for fines that year. I swear. We would be in, we would be out of our special teams meeting. The, the team meeting would start and we would be in, in the locker room hanging out in there because the kickers don't have to go to the, to the offensive and defensive meetings. And here Plaxico would come in. Like, Plax, what's up? Uh, not much, man. How are you guys doing? I'm like, uh, hello. So what's this costing you this time? And I swear, it must have been a half a million dollars he got fined that year. I was unbelievable. And Coughlin would just be like, look at him like, what are you doing? What are you doing? As he adds another zero yeah. to the column. Yes. Like, come on. So, yeah, back to your point is, yeah, it's a job. This is a job. And so you, there's nobody calling you saying, hey, Lance, you got to get in, you know, for five minutes before the meeting starts. So they don't care. They just fine you. The only way they get to people is through your through your pocketbook, you know. So. And sometimes that's not 
effective. Sometimes that's not effective because guys. people just don't care. Correct. You know? Exactly. Um, yeah. And when you're, you know, when you're making millions and millions and millions of dollars, you know, a thousand dollars here and a thousand dollars here may not mean that much to some people. But it could be pocket change <clears throat> for them, depending on the salary of a player. Twenty-two so. seasons, never got fined one time in my whole career. That's like perfect attendance in I, school, essentially. Yep, yeah. Yep. I got a, I got a certificate. There you go. A little ceremony, mm-hmm. yeah, that they gave you. Yeah, pat yeah. on the shoulder. Good there job, you go. Jeff. Hey, you know, we we never hesitate from getting pats on the back Love on it. this program. Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right. With that being said, that is going to wrap up shop here Good on show. Thursday's edition. Absolutely, of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Always great conversation. And Jeff, we appreciate the fun stories. You're welcome. We always Love get them. a ball out of that. I have a Today's, plenty of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are not lacking in that department. <laughs> Today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. So. As we mentioned, we'll be back up and running on Tuesday. Also, you can check out some of the latest editions of the Giants Huddle podcast, have some interviews with coaches and players from the Giants team, so check that out. And always stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. For Jeff Fiegels, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the holiday weekend. We'll speak to you next week right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.